blocking. Deep pattern downfield, touchdown Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? Did you enjoy your Victory Monday? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's all 22 day. We have a lot of notes to get to here from a dominant defensive showing and a pair of playmakers I really want to highlight on the offensive side of the ball, in addition to an offensive lineman that I think has been showing tons of bite lately for your Dolphins. Plus, pro football focus, next gen stats, snap counts, we'll scan the SOCH and hear from some of the Dolphins coaches. All of that and more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. We're going to kick this thing off right away with the All-22 review. Again, the condensed schedule this week because of the short week with the game on Thursday night. Plenty to come your way this week on MiamiDolphins.com, the YouTube channel, as well as here on the Drive Time Podcast presented by Auto Nation. And we start here offensively with a few of the plays. I want to go ahead and break down a little bit. The first play I loved was on that scoring drive, the second drive of the game. The Texans come out of that showing you split safeties, which usually indicates too high. They rotate to cover three, which means one cornerback in the deep third, one cornerback in the other deep third, and your safety down the middle. In the middle third, it's 12 personnel, which means two tight ends, one back, balanced, one tight end on either side of the formation, and nasty splits. You guys still with me here? Kicking this thing off with some terminology right away. Nasty splits means the receiver is condensed in tight to the formation. Think about the Rams and Cooper Cup and Bobby Trees and what they do down in Los Angeles. Everything's condensed and tight. So this formation, two tight ends, balanced, one on either side of the formation, and everybody's in close. And Waddle comes from the field side of the formation, the wide side of the field, from the one position, which means he's the furthest receiver out in that nasty split. So no one else out wide, just Waddle with tons of space to work with. That's ultimately what we're getting here, getting to here with all this terminology throwing right at you guys off the top. And he runs a crosser route right in front of that deep third cornerback who was ran off of the crossing route by a post route by Kirk Merritt. So I thought that was excellent design to free up a zone to a to remove one player out of that zone and fill it with another receiver going into that zone. And Jacoby has enough time, good pass, bro. And he does a great job moving off the spot to avoid one man who came through, engaged by Greg Mance, which anytime you get that upfield pressure and you can kind of run him around the quarterback, that's what you have to do. Greg Mance did it there. They hit it for a big completion. You love to see one of those plays where it all comes together for the design, the concept of the play, the receiver does the right thing, the protection holds up, the quarterback does well. That was the case on this particularly executed play. Later on, the touchdown run, the Wildcat run, great run by Miles Gaskin, decisive, hit it, finished it into the end zone. And you see Rob Hunt and Austin Ryder hit a great double team where Ryder then climbs off that to the second level and gets the linebacker. But Rob Hunt, as he did throughout the course of this game, stays glued on his man for a nice block on the other side. And when you get nice touchdown runs like this, nice chunk gains in the running game, you're going to have a couple of good doubles, a couple of good climbs. That's what you've got here. 
Adam Shaheen and Jesse Davis hit a double team. Jesse climbs to that next level. Shaheen stays on it. So you get two duo blocks there, and they're well executed all around, and a good run from Miles Gaskin. 7-0 Dolphins once again. How many times can this team come out of the gates and get the opening quarter lead? They got that lead. They never relinquished it in this game, and it's because of good execution on a few plays, really the entire drive, but a couple of plays where they just out-executed the Texans and got the job done. Now, wasn't all execution. The first interception of the game, man, Waddle is screaming down the middle of the field, down the seam between the two split safeties. We talked about this. That's what Houston does. And they are in position really just inside of the numbers on either side of the formation. So you can understand that that gives you a solid 10 yards between the numbers and the hash marks, the seven yards split between the hash marks, whatever it is, and then 10 more yards. So you're basically looking at 30 or so yards between these two safeties in the middle of the football field, and he flies right down that thing, and they're at midfield, completely flat-footed, forward leverage, leaning inside, and Waddle's already in sixth gear, which plays out because... One second later, to cover 10 yards, he's beyond them. But pressure comes off the left side, and he has to, Jacoby, get off the initial spot. Now, I think in watching this, it's hard for me to really to, to say he should have, but I think there may have been a chance to throw one of those Russell Wilson deep balls, those high arcing, like throw it way out there, throw it way up so that you can kind of mitigate the pressure and get rid of the football, but also give your receiver more time to win the route as the ball's in the air. And maybe there's a chance there that if he throws that thing way out there, Waddle can run underneath it, but he hangs onto it and the pressure forces him to roll to his right. And then from there, it's just a bad decision to throw the ball and Justin Reed recovers and picks it off. Stuff like this is exactly what I'm looking for in the second half of the season to kind of get ironed out as we go forward. Because defensively, as you'll hear in this podcast, we're seeing a lot of growth, I think, in that regard. Offensively in some areas too, but in regards to this particular play, the deep vertical game, there are some opportunities there, but we're one or two steps away from hitting it and really starting to see this offense have a chance to compete at the level that we all hoped and thought it would coming into the season. Now, in general... I thought it was cool to see some of the fullback action in there with Adam Shaheen lining up as kind of an offset back in the backfield. I talked about it on the Sunday podcast, some two back sets with Miles Gaskin and Savon Ahmed. I just think we're seeing more of the playbook kind of come out here, seeing a little bit less of the lack of spacing in terms of guys not knowing where to be, or maybe they just wind up in the wrong spot. But I think in general, I thought some of the schematics and some of the design was really good in this game for this Dolphins offense. Now, the touchdown pass to Mike Mac Hollins, talk about good execution, more of that right here. And it started with the receiver and Mac Hollins, who gets a great release because you've got you've got cushion of about six or seven yards right down there inside the 10 yard line. That's a tough area to win. And like, you have to be really exact to win down in that area. He gets a great release, gets a great stack inside where he puts the cornerback on his back and then a great finish to catch the football going to the ground. And then from Jacoby Brissett, I thought one of his best throws of the entire day, actually for my money, it was the best throw from Brissett on the day. You see him start to kind of bail, like cause pressure gets into his face, but then he sees Mac stack, Mac stack, the cornerback just stands up, fires it, takes a shot, and it's a great ball, low and away from the defense. Again, I thought that was Jacoby's best play of the entire day in seven points. Let's go talk about some of the individuals here. We start with two of the pass catching options that I'm just such a fan of. And Mike Gasicki, what a superhuman this dude is. On that first catch, he did the Devontae Parker move that I always talk about on this podcast 
with regards to catching contested footballs. He just put his big body in the way of the defensive back and then got airborne, which in that instance, if he wants to try to work around the body of Mike Gesicki, you're going to get flagged for that. If you want to try to get in front of it, good luck doing that. He's a big body guy with a lot of length. And when you can catch the football with just one hand available, well, I don't know how you defend that without interfering, without getting out of position, and without really being able to handle both the receiver, in this case, Mike Kosicki's hands, because he can pluck it one-handed. And both of these plays, they did it back-to-back times, were clearly defined one-on-one matchups on those back shoulder balls on back-to-back plays. The second one, the second one-handed catch was even better. The first one just kind of reaches out, plucks that thing, pulls it in. But the second one was a legit Aronde Gadsden catch right around the same area of the field. And he's done it before too on this field. So he continues to make these plays. But that was a a cover two beater right down the middle of the field. And it's a very dangerous throw because you cannot, you can't really even challenge that throw unless you have a guy like Mike Kosicki who can protect you. We saw Tua do that a couple times last year and even Fitz before him and now Jacoby Brissett. And that's a great trust to have between your quarterback and pass catcher to know that there's a lot of harm in that area. But because Mike Kosicki's in that area, I know I can take a chance. And what do you get? You wind up on Center. Fantastic game once again by Mike Gesicki. You know who I'm so impressed with this week after what I thought was maybe one of his worst games so far as a pro in a, a, a short career of a very good player so far is Jalen Waddell. His release game continues to impress me. There's a reception early on where he takes one quick outside step. It's a linebacker who's kind of playing off coverage, but the reason he's in that position is because on the inside release, there is the single high safety Justin Reed ready to kind of close and put a big stick on Waddle. So what he has to do is win very quickly, and he does. It's an outside step, a crossover off the middle or crossing face, and then the arm work is what I found really impressive. He throws the arm over like a little swim move or an arm over and gets himself kind of skinny, but doesn't decelerate. And that allows him to completely avoid the reroute. And with that post safety being 20 yards off the football, it creates a much needed quick window for the quarterback to access, and he gets it. And there's a catch, run after the catch, first down. And then later in the game, I think on the same drive, maybe the next drive, there's a second and 10 play where he's the one to the boundary, the furthest split out receiver. And I like that alignment because it gives him chances at a two-way go, possibly takes away that safety help on so many of these looks. But in this case, the cornerback is eight yards off with a cushion. Now they're in cover three. So he wants to get that butt to the sideline, eyes in the quarterback and get depth and make sure Jalen cannot get over the top. But in order to access that area of the field on the out route to the boundary there, he has to find a way to get the leverage for working inside entirely and cannot give away or tip off the outside throw because that's going to give the cornerback a chance to drive and make a play on the football. So he takes the inside release and forces that cornerback to quickly show that inside leverage and with your butt to the sideline kind of on the on the toes of your feet, right, to kind of lean forward and play that ball inside. So Waddle gets on top of the route and then from there is able to snap it back to the outside and flatten back down to the quarterback, come back to the quarterback, from the numbers to the perimeter and get the ball or get yourself in position where the ball is not in harm's way. He catches it right at the sticks, turns it up, gets the first down, just winning your matchup. That's an instance here where Jalen, go beat your guy and get us a first down. He does it. Very next play, same exact deal. Cover three, cushion. He presses the toes of the defensive back and he takes that one drop step saying, oh crap, that guy's fast. I got to get some depth. And once he does that, Jalen shuts that thing down, comes right back down the stem and again, comes back to the football, catch, first down, boom, let's go. On the play before the Mac Hollins touchdown late, 
He's open immediately for a touchdown, but the ball's not quite there. Then he clears the second window and it's open again, but now the protection is not holding up. So it kind of goes back to the idea that Waddle continues to really create opportunities for himself, but it takes 11, right? So his production, I think, is still not quite matching what he's doing on the football field. And still, 8 for 83, and we're still saying that. Like, there's some opportunities to get this guy the ball. And you get that one deep ball. We're talking about a possible, you know, 175-yard game from this kid. He has that ability in him. Now, my final note on him, and this is kind of going away from everything we just talked about in terms of what I liked about his game from a skill set standpoint, I love this part of his game. Miles has a six-yard run for a first down on second and six, and Waddle has a key block as Gaskin presses play side, realizes it's not going to work over there, and he cuts it back backside. And when you're a backside of the run wide receiver, isn't that one of those opportunities where you might say, you know, I'm playing 65 snaps today. I can take this one off. My, my block isn't going to be integral to the success of the play. That's not what he was thinking. He comes in there and wipes out the backside and gives just enough of a lane for Gaskin to pick up the first down, keep the chains moving. When your emerging rookie wide receiver starts hitting key blocks, let's go, baby. I love seeing that. Great game, Jalen. Robert Hunt, I thought, also had a fantastic game push in the running game. He stays on blocks as well as anybody, and he completely thwarted one-on-one pass rush attempts all day long. That's kind of been the case for him this year. When they've gotten him this year, it's been some of those overloads and miscommunication where they just kind of open up a free lane, but when he is in the right spot and challenges guys, man, he's tough to beat. He hits a great reach block in this game where he runs a one-gap penetrator who tries to beat him inside quickly all the way out to Jupiter. Not Florida, the planet Jupiter and all the rings out there. So great game from Rob as well. I thought Austin Jackson had some really good work in the running game in this game, moving some guys. He continues to really be at his best when he kind of seals the point in the running game. Saw some more of that in this contest. Some of the running game woes, it's it's two-headed for me. There was a play early on where they cleared this huge gap and there was some indecision that resulted in a three-yard gain where I thought, man, they could have ripped that thing for not just a first down yardage, but possibly a touchdown run. And it winds up going for three. That's tough to see. Uh, Eric Studisville has talked about that previously, about some meat on the bone in the running game. And then there's other times where the backs are decisive and they get yards. There's some times where the backs are decisive and the blocking is not good enough. And I think Miles has some runs where you see what I believe is that best trait. And that's why it's so perplexing to see it kind of not be there at all times, but the feel and decisiveness. And then there are some where he just doesn't hit it right away. So finding a way to be more consistent in that area, just as coach Dudesville talked about, will be a big key to finding a way to get this run game turned around. Cause right now they're really struggling defensively. This one took a little more time to watch cause there was a lot more to, to watch. But uh, just in general, some of the plays here, the idea to go with Ogba and Phillips on the same side as much as they did, that caused problems all game long. So great plan to get that job done. And what I want to do now is play some audio from Dolphins defensive coordinator, Josh Boyer, who I asked about how that helped them provide more pressure on the quarterback in this game. I think, you know, both of them executed well on the play. I, I think, you know, we got a number of guys that we can line up next to each other, uh, you know, and, um, you know, obviously we always try to put guys in positions uh, where we feel they can succeed. Uh, they executed very well on the play, and that's a credit to Emmanuel and a credit to uh, Jalen on that play. So, um, you know, and then obviously, um, you know, Bake was able to finish the play for us on one of those. So, um, you know, it's really a credit to players. They, they executed very well. So there you have Josh Boyer talking about that. And it was constant throughout the course of the game. There was a couple of plays back-to-back that I thought changed the game from that look. We'll talk more about that here in just one second. Some other plays. 
Zero pressure, man. They're, it's it's back. It's making a return in a big way, and it's been very successful the last couple of weeks. Forces a throw away here early in the first quarter where Javon Holland has a kind of late reaction blitz where he wants to hold that thing off until the very last second so it doesn't get given away so you can maintain that disguise to the quarterback and he times this thing right at the snap and because of this he's able to get clean to the quarterback and it pulls the running back away from the weak side of the formation David Johnson is scanning inside out and ideally he can stay outside because Jerome Baker moves off the weak side edge and blitzes the quarterback and that's who he wants to be able to pick up but because Javon can get that pressure in the A-gap so quickly it forces Johnson to come in and bail out the interior offensive line and that gives you a free run from Jerome Baker, who forces a throwaway. This happened a few times. The exact same situation happened at the end of the second quarter, and Andrew Van Ginkle was the one to get in there. But Miami zero pressure looks, and because of these safeties and corners and what they're doing lately and the work of the guys up front, it's marrying up really well together. I, I'm really optimistic about what it can be in the second half of the season. Just one last note here on a, a random play. Actually, we have two more, but this one, I just wrote, ooh, <laughs> Tyrod Taylor missed Amendola on that little wheel route. He was all alone, looked like a bust in coverage. Nobody goes with him. Thankfully, they couldn't hit that pass. And then how about this play, the challenge uh, late in the game there? Just watching on the tape, I'm counting 10 guys on the field when Miami breaks the huddle, which obviously is not great. You don't want to have 10 guys in the field, but to make sure that it doesn't cost you. What a great idea there to throw the challenge flag rather than just take a timeout because if you lose the challenge when you have two challenges to go late in the fourth quarter, I mean, who cares about losing the challenge at that point? You're going to lose a timeout if you burn it. And that play to me looked like it was honestly 50-50 to get turned over. I mean, me and Kajami up in the press box, we thought it was going to get turned over. It doesn't. And then the play out of the break after that was perfect. They get pressure. They plaster on the back end. Had no chance. Kicking time. Let's go. But I thought that was interesting to see 10 guys in the field on that particular play. On From what I had on, on the on the coach's film review there, I saw 10 guys in the field. So I'm thinking that might have been the thinking there as far as throwing the challenge flag to just basically, one, protect yourself from having just 10 guys in the field. But also maybe you can gain a couple of yards there in a, in a crucial situation where it's possibly four down territory in a two-score game. Big time work there, and, and it worked out for Miami in the end. All right, some of the players here. You guys want to talk about Christian Wilkins? I sure as hell do. Love seeing him get back up after that little injury there in the fourth quarter. But if you want to watch Christian Wilkins play football, like come watch some tape with me because this guy can friggin' do it, man. Early in the game, he stacks a block, peeks off the outside edge, jerks the guy, like just throws him off to the side and forces the back, who's coming right at him at the aim point, like that's his target point. He reverses field and goes right back in to another tackle. So there's no counting stat there for that play. But Christian Wilkins is the one that make that play. Do you get how that works? And he is so consistently under his man's pads where he just pops the chest plate, stands him up, and you see their head kind of kick back like those old boxing toys, the two-on-two where you just mash the buttons and they throw fists and someone's head pops up and that's the loser of the fight. That's Christian Wilkins playing the low man role in the trenches at the four-tech, at the five-tech, three-two, nose, whatever you want you put him at, he can do it. He can beat tight ends, tackles, guards, and centers. Just legit. He's consistent. And one of the most consistent things on the team this year has been his work playing that low and also just stacking up blocks. Because the very next play, he stacks the original block and then there's a double team coming off the edge and they try to move him out of that gap. And typically when that guy's engaged and he gets hit by a tight end or a tackle, it's pretty easy to move that guy 
Not when it's Christian Wilkins. He does not budge, and Landon Roberts comes off of his back and scrapes right into that very small gap and gets in there for the tackle. He's kept clean on the play because of the work of Christian Wilkins. Again, no counting stats there, but you get how that impacts the game positively for 94. Not about stats in this position, guys. Later, quarter number two, the Texans try him with a tight end. Stacks it up, sheds him, makes a run stop. So again, tackle, guard, tight end, whatever you want to put him at, he can do it. Same drive. He gets a pass rush rep working inside out on the tackle. What I mean by that, he's the four tech, head up over that tackle. He's going to work outside angle and angle around to come back in. He pins him inside with his shoulder and then fights arm under the little rip move to reposition the hands and corner for a QB hit on an incomplete pass. Same exact drive. Again, four technique. This time crosses the face of the guard. So he can play that position and go outside, go the long way around, or he can cross inside and get pressure that way. He crosses the face of the guard, flattens, and forces Taylor to step right up into the pass rush and Sealer and Van Ginkle clean it up for the sack. You know who didn't get a sack? Christian Wilkins. You know who made the play? Christian Wilkins. You see how that works? I mean, he really does everything. Dominant, dominant, dominant player. And if you can't see that, I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm, I'm really tired of this discourse around his game. Cut the tape. It's right there. He's having a hell of a year. Speaking of Zach Sealer, I thought the play was a great example of what he can do, the, the, the sack that he got, the half sack that he contributes on. He works upfield and stays in his rush lane. And once he sees Taylor have to step up from that Christian Wilkins pressure, he converts that speed to power. Like you see a light go on and it's time to go. And he runs right through the tackle to get to the quarterback along with Van Ginkle for a big sack. Who's ready to talk Javon Holland? Oh, buddy. Oh, man. This dude. There's a, we put a clip on social of him after the pick where he looks at the camera and just kind of goes... I'm that dude. I mean, he didn't say that, but that was what I thought he was thinking. And usually I would say, you're not that guy, pal. You're not that guy. This guy is that guy, pal. I broke down the interception on the Sunday podcast. So go back and check that out already. You have a safety capping a, a, a cornerback, which this in this case, it was another safety in Brandon Jones. He rotates out, comes from the far hash to the boundary, all the way over to the pylon to make the, fe- to make the play at the field side of the formation. Unreal range, unreal instincts, unreal reaction time right at the snap to not give away the disguise that was consistent all game long. Now, however, a couple of plays later, I thought he made an even better play. He's the post safety in man free, single high safety in the middle of the field, 15, 20 yards off the ball, man coverage across the board, all impress. And the Texans try a route combination with three guys to the field. So the number two, the, in, the inside guy, sets a pick for the number three, who's the closest inside guy on that formation, a pick for a wheel route. And the number one is going to run a post route to try to completely clear out that front pylon corner route they want to throw on the wheel. And not only does the does Javon Holland on this play cap the post route to prevent a possibility of throwing the ball there, he gets over the top of the wheel too to wipe out two routes at once. Sensational work. And one thing I didn't see on the pick was David Johnson on the interception he got. David Johnson actually flexes out wide to the other side of the formation where he starts pre-snap over there as the one to the boundary. So technically... He went sideline to sideline. Sensational doesn't even begin to describe that play and the game that this guy had. And then it continues. The Justin Coleman interception sets up because of a pressure by Javon Holland in a zero look where he comes off the edge and flattens and just gets to Tyrod Taylor in less than two seconds. I put it on a stopwatch. It was like 1.7 seconds. He's already at the quarterback and he has to make a move to get off the spot and avoid that sack. But then 
People said, does he still get a quarterback hit for that because his arm hit the side? Yeah, he does get a quarterback hit for that. But the real impact was watch Tyrod Taylor's feet on that play. They are literally square to the goalpost because he has to avoid that pressure and step up into an even muddier pocket. And he tries to float the football from this awkward platform. It's behind the receiver who really, he won inside access off the release, but because the ball's kind of fluttering and behind, it gives Coleman a chance to recover, undercut and make the pick. Again, Holland made so many freaking plays in this game. And then finally, generally speaking, I like the way he covers some layers concepts by getting to a spot rather than just finding a man. Like if the quarterback's going to boot or roll and you have multiple layered routes coming that direction, he runs to the spot. He's not trying to find a man to pick him up. He runs to the spot where the routes are going and just does a fantastic job cutting those avenues off. And then finally in this game, he finishes on the Texans penultimate drive with another zero pressure hit on Taylor to force a throw away. That was one of the best games by a Dolphin safety we've seen in a long time. I would say since Rashad Jones. It was fantastic. Brandon Jones also had himself a day, and he helped set it up with the perfect route to the quarterback on a blitz on that interception, something he's been doing every single week. Javon Holland's pick was set up by Brandon Jones's pressure. And then the first play of the next series, he runs right around a block after coming from depth from a too high safety look and cuts down the back right at the line. So he's playing fast. He's playing instinctive. And he said on his Monday presser that him and Javon are getting so comfortable playing with one another that they're already knowing what the other one's doing without even having to communicate it. So they're kind of like subliminally, subliminally communicating, <laughs> communicating what they're doing. And I think it shows. The third and 15 conversion where they were backed up. Now this is one play to kind of make a correction on. If he's one step quicker on that play, the little quick stick route to the tight end, I think he makes that stop short of the sticks if he's one step quicker. He had a chance to do it, but he couldn't quite get him down. So there's always stuff to improve on, even in a really strong showing for both these young safeties. But man, they look fantastic so far. Nick Needham on that first that first uh, blitz that he has, a, a sack he gets in this game, the closing speed, squaring up your target, form tackle. You love to see such sound fundamentals all the way around. That's been Nick Needham's game his entire career. He shows it here. Byron Jones had some battles that went against him early in coverage in this game. Nothing really bad, just like some 10, 12-yard receptions. But he would come back later with a ton of good work in this game. And another really stellar showing from Byron Jones. The play that I liked the most was right after the reception that he gave up, a first down reception. He has outside contain on a run, and he gets on the upfield shoulder of a much larger tight end than he is. And he fights to maintain that outside position to set a hard edge and force that thing back inside. Then a few plays later, sticks his face and the fan takes on a block and that allows Brandon Jones to scrape around the outside and make a play there. So he continues to get work done in the running game. We'll come back to his pass coverage here in just one second. Jalen Phillips, the option pitch, talked about it on the podcast yesterday, but the ability to get from a standing still position, open the hips and turn and run, that's defensive back stuff for your 270 pound outside linebacker slash DN slash three tech slash athletic marvel. I'll cover the Emmanuel Ogbaugh sack that he created here in just one second, but the Jerome Baker pick, man, he fights through a double over the center and guard, winds up just running over the center. Steamrolls coming through, Malcolm in the middle, how that episode where he gets the steamroller, that's what Jalen Phillips did on this play. He forces Taylor to the sideline, and because of that pursuit, it makes it an awkward throwaway because otherwise he can just get to the sideline, throw it away safely. Like think about the way a fast base runner in baseball rushes an infielder to make a quick throw and it kind of forces some error sometimes. That's what I thought happened here. And Jerome Baker winds up making the play, which again, tremendous understanding of the position on the field and field awareness there for Jerome Baker. Back to the pass rushers, Emmanuel Ogba. He 
uh, his rushes where he starts at the five tech position, which is the outside shoulder of the tackle and twists inside to the guard. He's flat out dominant on those. Those and his cross chop to me are his best plays. And later on a scramble by Tyrod Taylor, he fights around the block of a split zone tight end, which means the tight ends on the other side of the formation comes under the offensive line and tries to pick up the defensive end. He tries to pin, uh, Ogba, Ogba arm over, gets around him, and then pins Taylor to the sideline to, sh- to force a short run. So great display of athletic ability there. And then the same deal a few plays later on a pass rejection right at the line. Swats that thing back like to Kemba Matumbo. I'm totally convinced that if he was on the heat, he could compete for Bam with blocks, the, the, the leading blocker on the team. Eh, well, not really because that's the defensive player of the year in the NBA or should have been over Rudy, Rudy Gobert, but you get what I'm saying. End of the first half, again, lateral movement, crossover step to work off the pick of Jalen Phillips on a pass rush game, a TE stunt, and the closing speed from there is tremendous. Sack! Boom! Finally, I know Tyrod tripped on the play, the the final sack of the game for for Emmanuel, but he completely undresses the man across from him on that play. The guard just throws him to the side and had a run right at Taylor, even if he keeps his feet. Great game, 91. Great game. Andrew Van Ginkle thought this was his best game of the season so far. He did well to split some blocks, played with power and aggression, and was involved a lot both as a rusher and the force defender in the running game. And I talked about Byron Jones. Let's go ahead and loop him and Xavier Howard in together because I think we could really cut and paste this the last few weeks. Any coverage, any ask, man, zone, whatever you want them to do, they both do such a good job of knowing their role, knowing their spacing on the field, and their understanding of what a receiver wants to do with the release and at the top of the route. I mean, half the reason the pressure is getting home so frequently is because the passing options are simply not there the last couple of weeks. And they're both so, so good at this, man. Like, they're so fun to watch. One thing I like about Byron Jones is his ability to kind of adapt his zone to cover a couple of routes if the spacing is not there to stretch him out. That's what Coach Burks talked about last week. And this week, I saw him do something similar on a Tyrod Taylor scramble where Ogba chases him out to the perimeter. And when they would go with some of the condensed packages with all the pass options and close formations, both of these guys would just body up and press and totally throw off the timing of every single pass route. It was awesome to watch this game. More Byron Jones. Start of the third quarter. Byron comes from depth in a single high look and he comes to scrape and it looks like for a moment that he overruns the play and gives the outside edge to Philip Lindsay who tries to get wide but Jones not only beats him to the spot on the foot race he brings him down with an impressive tackle for no gain. Awesome work and then later deep third and zone coverage a corner route is trying to move him off of a, a deep out route right underneath him and he stays right between both of them. The ball comes up he covers up both of them and he gets his hand in there for a pass breakup. High high level stuff Byron Jones playing some damn good football right now. Jerome Baker thought he played with terrific angles and speed in this game. He was quick to get to the quarterback on rushes, fit the run well, got by blocks, and that wherewithal on the interception, fantastic play from Jerome. Finally, Eric Rowe on the forced fumble. Airtight coverage, separates the hands. Way to close it out, E. Rowe. That's a closer, a winning play right there. Dolphins win. Some stats for you guys. Pro football focus. Jacoby Brissett on 20-plus yard throws. 0 for 3 in a pick, and that's, you know, the vertical passing game's been struggling, but... With all that pressure in this game, tough to get the ball down the field. In the 10 to 19 yard range, not a lot better. Seven for 13, 101 yards, and a touchdown pass. So just under 50, or just over 50%, I should say. Quarterback pressures, uh, when he was under pressure, nine for 22, um, four sacks, and 26 total dropbacks. But nine for 22, 75 yards, 3.4 yards per pass, one touchdown, and two picks. When he was blitzed, eight for 17, 84 yards, 4.9 yards per attempt. Thought this was his best game by far, throwing from a clean pocket. 
17 for 21 with a buck 69. That's eight yards per pass. No touchdowns or picks, but to only throw four incompletions after that was kind of a struggle earlier in the year, that's a good sign of progress for Jacoby Brissett. And a significant portion of what was done through the quick game, you know, or his his kept clean passes, his time to throw was 2.19 seconds and his A dot was 6.7. So just kind of see it, feel it, rip it, get the ball out compared to on the pressures that he that he endured. 3.4 time to throw with a 13.3 A dot when under pressure. So a sign of his ability there to extend plays, which continues to me to be his best trait, toughness and ability to withstand contact from inside the pocket and still get passes off. Next gen had Jacoby with a season completion over expected of minus 1.7. That's I think was like 28th in the NFL. His time to throw is 2.83 seconds and his aggression percentage is 16.3%. All of those were were below the median in the National Football League. Jalen Waddell, his inside-outside ability has been so much fun to watch this year. I thought it was more of a this-week thing, but it's actually been a, a, the last two weeks thing, and Waddle hits a, a season high with a 51.1% outside usage last week in Buffalo per pro football focus. This week, it was 40.5% outside, the second-highest split of the season, and those numbers bring his season-wide splits up to 32.6%. So he wasn't doing it a whole lot earlier, but now more outside work. Bit of a game plan thing for sure, but it's good to see him get more increased workload of you know being spread about the offense. And his uh, a credit to him and his availability, first off, for being available for all nine games, but also a sign, I think, of some of the growth of his pro game. I mean, Brian Flores has talked about this at various stages, about how the next steps for him have been just learning the pro game. And, and I would assume this is sort of a product of that. So on Monday... You know I had to do it to him. I had to ask George Godsey about Jalen Waddle and his diverse skill set. Yeah, I mean, when he got here, you know, uh, we had a conversation about the receiver position and not just being a slot and not just, you know, that's kind of how we look at the tight ends and how we look at a lot of the, uh, the players, whether it's back, catching a ball out of the backfield. And we, we want to be uh, very capable of, of playing them inside, playing them outside, using them in motion. Uh, shifting them across formations and as a rookie to absorb all that and then still be productive on both spots. It's a credit to him, uh, his preparation, um, and, and knowing the DBs he's going against. There's a lot that goes into that. And, um, you know, he's done an excellent job uh, you know, for his first year of, of, of taking that information and then going out there and being productive. And Waddle had his second highest average depth of target in this game at 9.8 yards and his second highest yards per route run of the season at 2.08 yards. Also averaged 3.3 yards after the catch. Gasicki averaged 13.3 yards per reception, one of the best big play tight ends in the league. And he's top five among tight ends in both receptions and yards this season. Miles Gaskin ran for three first downs, averaged just 1.7 yards of uh, contact per rush. It's got to get better for this Dolphins running back crew. Our longest run of the day was Jacoby Brissett, a seven-yard scramble. Again, it's just they need more from that from the running game so far. Uh, pressures on the offensive line, Liam Eichenberg, nine allowed, one sack and four hits. Austin Jackson, four pressures, one sack. Austin Ryder was two pressures, one hit. Greg Mance, two pressures, no hits. Robert Hunt, one pressure, no hits. Great game for Robert Hunt. Jesse Davis, six pressures, two sacks allowed. Defensively, run snap, or run stops, rather. Emmanuel Ogba had five. His 18 this season are tied for 11th most among edge defenders. Jerome Baker had four. Andrew Van Ginkle had three. Needham, Rowe, and Jones all had two. 
Pressures, Ogba had seven. What a game. His 35 QB pressures are 10th among edge defenders, so 10th and 11th in pass rush and run stop win rate this year. Jerome Baker had five pressures. What a game he had. Jalen Phillips had four pressures on 28 pass rush snaps, 25% pressure rate. That's pretty good for the rookie. Christian Wilkins, Andrew Van Ginkle both had four pressures. Javon Holland and Raekwon Davis had two, and then a handful of guys had one pressure in this game. Jerome Baker allowed just 28 yards on seven pass targets and the pick. Great game for him. Byron Jones, just 31 yards allowed on seven targets and just four completions on those seven targets for 31. Xavier Howard, three of five complete for 28 yards. And then Eric Rowe had the top grade of all all Dolphins defenders on PFF, then Javon Holland, then Zach Sealer. Quick note here on the safety play. Coming into last week versus Buffalo, Brandon Jones had 27 pass rush reps on the season and Javon Holland had 13 pass rush reps. The last two weeks, they've combined for 45 pass rush reps and have been insanely productive with it. 15 of Javon Holland's 28 pass rush reps came over the last two weeks, and his three quarterback pressures over that time led to a pick, a third down pass breakup, and a third down incompletion, and another pick from Justin Coleman. So great work there from Javon Holland. 30 of Brandon Jones's 57 pass rush reps came over the last two weeks, and his 10 QB pressures are the most by any NFL safety, and Javon Holland's eight pressures are second by any NFL safety. So both those guys just killing it. As far as snap counts go, the offensive line and the quarterback played almost wire to wire. Greg Mance played nine snaps. Austin Ryder, 66. There were 75 total for Liam, uh, Jesse, Rob, and Austin. And then Jacoby missed the one snap because the Wildcat snap. Waddle led receivers with 65 snaps, 87% of the workload. Mac Hollins played 60. Wilson played 17. Merritt, 11. Isaiah Ford, 4. So Waddle and Hollins kind of your 1-2 without Devontae or Preston out there. And uh, Preston was inactive in this game once again uh, for the Dolphins. Tight end position, Mike Gesicki, 59 snaps. That was 79%. Durham Smythe played 45 snaps in this game. Adam Shaheen, 36. Uh, Seathan Carter, 4. At running back, Miles Gaskin gets a lion's share, 54 snaps. That was 72%. Savon Ackman just 14 snaps and Patrick Laird seven in this game on defense uh, Adam Butler led all interior defensive linemen with 40 snaps that was 58 percent of the total Christian Wilkins played 39 uh, Davis 31 and Sealer 21 up front off the edge Ogba 53 snaps that's 77 percent of the total Van Ginkle 51 so a big uh, jump in production there for him Jalen Phillips 37 snaps Brandon Scarlett 15 snaps in this game at linebacker Jerome Baker played 68 that was all but one snap Landon Roberts, 39, Riley 1, Egwavon 1, or Riley 7, Egwavon 1, I'm sorry. At cornerback, both Byron and X played every snap, all 69, nice. Nick Needham played 44 snaps, Justin Coleman, 14. Javon Holland at safety played 68 snaps as well. Brandon Jones, 65, Eric Rowe, 28, and Clayton Fedulum, 1. Let's scan the social, then get the heck out of here. The importance of a win is the social topic today. And I saw this in a few replies on some tweets, some of our own excitement on the postgame show with Seth and Juice, my tweets on the podcast, whatever the case may be. I had fun Sunday because we won a football game. And all of that, saying that win meant nothing or did nothing for you. Now, you're entitled to feel that way, but buddy... I could not disagree more. Did you guys see Javon Holland coming off the field? Did you see Mike Gesicki losing his ever-loving mind every time Miami made a big play or after the victory was sealed post-game? How about that dance party that broke out after the fumble recovery at the end to basically put it on ice? It wasn't pretty. We know that. But to say a win is meaningless, that sure grinds my gears because I can literally tell you from being in the same vicinity as all these guys every single day, it's not meaningless. It means a lot. And coaches will tell you about the mistakes and the corrections that have to be made. But knowing that that locker room after the game, knowing that these guys got to go home and relax on a Sunday night victorious and feel good about it, 
Meaningless is the worst possible word to use there. That's really all I've got. Just remember the human element. All these guys are humans too, and they have emotions that wins can certainly help you feel better about the way a tough season has gone. All right. That's going to be my time on this very busy Tuesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast this week. They have Terrell Buckley coming up. Don't want to miss that. Check out our YouTube channel with all the media availabilities and Dolphins today with myself, Joanna Torres, and Rachel Smith. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline. Daddy is coming home.